Welcome to The Rant. I'm your host, Herman James. And on today's episode, Daniel Backpack Baron and I will be talking politics and his run for election in 2020. This part of the podcast is brought to you by Libsyn. Are you looking to start a podcast or want to know where to move your podcast to to get the best possible outcome? Libsyn is the top-rated host for your podcast. Use promo code HERMAN for your first month free. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate everything you guys have done for the rant so far. I also would like to uh, welcome back Daniel Roy Barron. You've been in South America for a while. How are you doing? Uh, thanks for having me on again, uh, Herman. Uh, it's great to see you. And a lot of busy time. Uh, running. I ran for president in 2016, got some write-in votes, and I'm running again in 2020 as a counterculture uh, using my root background as progressive Unitarian Universalist, and I'll go into explaining more of what that that's all about. Nice. That is more adjectives and things that I don't really know I'm going for. <laughs> what I'm going on that one. So I am very curious to kind of see how your trip was down there, how everything went. Uh, I am always curious of the reality of the world outside of what is presented on social media for one, which is pretty much everyone's fake bullshit in the first place and the actual news, because if you go by the news, the world is going to end soon and Trump is causing world war and everything every day. And uh, from my understanding from people at the South American border, he is causing a real Royal fuck up, which is, should be universally known by now, unless you ask some alt rights, then he is doing a cleansing uh, reminiscent to Hitler. <laughs> well, uh, I spent six months in living mostly in Sao Paulo, uh, Sao Hockey, which is like an hour from there, and then went to Rio de Janeiro from August of uh, 27, 2018, August uh, to February of 2019. And so I left because you can only stay for six months on a, a travel visa. So I'm just at the point where I could go back, um, thinking of ideas of going back or other things. But it, it was an incredible experience because I, I was right there when Bolsonaro got elected. He's called the tropical Trump. So he's the equivalent of Trump. He's like destroying the Amazon and he's destroying a lot of the arts and the social work and, you know, running for president. Uh, one of my campaign platforms that I try to come up with unique things that other candidates aren't talking about, but instead of war, we can actually use social workers and creative, like what really creates identity in our communities are the authors, the poets, the dancers, uh, all the people who are in the creative realms. Uh, that's real identity. And it's not the Starbucks and the, you know, the gentrified neighborhoods, you know, and, here in Austin, there's like 15 acres of homeless, and I'm also running as a homeless uh, Bill of Rights and economic Bill of Rights. But uh, what's going on in Brazil is really sad with the Amazon uh, on fire, yeah. and Bolsonaro has basically uh, given a green flag to the agribusiness, and they're destroying a lot of the ind- indigenous people and a lot of the uh, ways. But I was there right in the election, and Haddad was kind of the equivalent of uh, the other party that would be more liberal or more progressive, he was a professor, and he actually lost by 10 million votes. Uh, so uh, from what I remember, Bolsonaro got 55 million. He got 45 million. So it was a tight race uh, out of a country that 
has so much potential, but it's being held down. Of course, there's a lot of corruption and gangs, but you also have basically it's a military dictatorship. They had a military dictatorship up until about 1986, and then uh, Bolsonaro bringing him back. He was a, a military captain so he's yeah was this platform for military power in a military stronghold and to build that back up and to kind of have that dictatorship brought back yeah exactly and that's one of the fears uh from some people but other people because they there is a lot more prevalent crime there than even the i mean the u.s has its own problems but there it's even stronger or more uh uh, you know, really, some neighborhoods you don't want to go in. You know, if you don't belong, you're probably not going to live through the the night. You know, really dangerous, super dangerous. That, you know that. Um, but one thing is, people voted for Bolsonaro over Haddadi because he was more about crime. They saw him. The military is like an effective thing, but they don't realize that social work and uh, creative uh, helping uh, the creative people can be a better way to solve crime than, than war or bring in these, like we have here in the U S now we have these military police, uh, and, and they're to serve and protect the capitalism. They protect the corporations. Uh, they're actually protecting them against the people, but they're supposed to, to protect and serve. And now that I'm 51 and I grew up in the seventies, I want to bring back awareness of some of the things that we've, the, the seventies weren't perfect, but we've lost a lot of things since the 1970s and, uh, but being there in Brazil and really getting a flavor of what it's like and, and uh, seeing there's a lot of things about the U.S. that I appreciate now, like some of the streets are better. And you, you just recently had a power outage in Sacramento. But if the power goes out in Sao Paulo, it might be four or five hours if it rains. So well, didn't we the power a, go out there for days? Or yeah, I think, yeah. They have a much older – I'll see if I can find a picture of it, but their power grid down there is much older. It looks like it's something from like 1970s power grid. Yeah. So we do have a better uh, infrastructure than they have down there, that's for sure. Oh, well, um, yeah. But they're, they're the 10th largest economy in the world. So you know the hardest thing is that – but that economy is mostly funneling into the very wealthy people. And so you see people living in you know uh, huts next to these helicopters that – the uber wealthy actually don't travel by car or they just actually go by a helicopter. They just fly from one building to another for their safety and security. But also it's just kind of a two different levels. Um, I haven't been to India yet, but I'd like to go there too. And I, I think the, the divide is even worse than Sao Paulo, but it's a different level of divide than what we might have here in the U S yeah. And you said uh, a little bit back there that we've lost things that we had in the seventies that are not prevalent now and to make it even more extreme, we've lost things from 2010 that we don't have now. And we have as a country reverted back so far into segregation, racism, and just outright boisterous hatred for each other. That is beyond anything I've seen in my own lifetime. I mean, we didn't ever used to have this. Everything since I was growing up in the eighties and nineties, was unity, you know, togetherness. I grew up with the LGBTQ, X, Y, T, all that kind of stuff coming together and being heavily prevalent to now just being in a country where the president and all of his adversaries and the cronies he puts into positions can say whatever the hell they want with no remorse. 
and then watch the country implode and eat itself. Well, that's true. I put myself out as a Black Lives Matter candidate, and people can go check out the Facebook uh, or the also uh, face triage is on Facebook and it's on uh, YouTube and looking to get it out on some other podcasting uh, in the near future. But uh, I got some really controversial ones that uh, some videos I put out like welcome the immigrants and welcome refugees, but deport racists. Like I'd rather have somebody illegal living next door to me than a racist. I mean, what? What are, what are your thoughts about that's a that's quite a statement to make. Yeah, I think unfortunately the word racist uh, has a really split connotation. Uh, I believe the extremists of racists, not even the extremists, anyone that hates anyone just due to their color or ethnicity, that's outright wrong and shouldn't be accepted. However, you have people that are racist and bigoted and calling people that appreciate their country as racist. So I think when you look at it two different ways, and that one just to play devil's advocate, I would rather have someone that is willing to be in a country and do work and make a country better and be proud of where they are than someone that wants to hate someone and push someone out because they feel entitled that this is where they belong. Well, that's one of the undercurrents that a lot of other candidates for 2020 president are bringing up that I I really see is that people basically vote or even want to identify with things where number one I see is jobs and then it's who they love and who they hate. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things if if Trump, for example, had fallen in love and married a lady from Brazil or one of the other South American countries, he would be singing a different tune about the wall and all the things that he's doing. You know, he he ends up with this woman from Eastern Europe and, you know, those are some of the things, you know, it deals with who you love. And from what all I can tell is that Trump and a lot of his people who are backing him just don't like uh, South American people. They, they just hate the. So uh, what, what really gels what I'm saying right now is like when you look at if someone's like in the U.S. and they're a lifetime immigration lawyer, uh, they're always going to vote or for helping immigrants, you know, and helping people come here, refugees and helping illegals become legal or helping everybody have a better life. But if you're in law enforcement, military, police, and intel, uh, you're going to be more likely to be against uh, helping, uh, you know, immigrants and refugees and illegals coming here to have a better life because uh, underneath the hood of all this, uh, you know, that who's the Republicans are like in bed with the lip, they're in bed with the uh, law enforcement, military intel. And, you know, Democrats typically, well, even though there's a split in that party between the progressives and the neoliberals, which I can go into also the differences, but you know, the split of like uh, in, in general, the Democrats are more into the immigrants and helping. So, you know, everybody's voting uh, and upcoming elections based on who they, what job they want to support, who they love and really who they hate. Yeah. But I'd have to disagree with the idea that, the Republican Party is against immigrants and against illegal individuals becoming legal because prior to Trump, they were for it. They were for reform. There was actually a bipartisan uh, deal to regulate immigration and change the processing. It was broken. Once Trump got into office, a lot of them flipped the switch. Um Lindsey Graham of Texas is one of them in particular. He was against everything Trump was about 100%. 
And then Trump starts firing everyone out of office that disagrees with him. And all of a sudden, now he's got tons of support. I think it is thought by fear. A lot of them don't want to get out, uh, knocked out of the office and not out of their seats or chairs because they're comfortable where they are. They don't want to be pushed out for that reason. Don't get me wrong. There are some hard alt-rights out there, but there are also people afraid to lose their seat. So they're allowing him to do these ass nine things. And then if you watch what's coming through the Senate and the House, no one's voting across the board to allow him to do anything. That's why he is using the presidential powers that be to put in his own plans to subvert getting any approval by anybody. Well, there's a split among all these parties, really. There's yeah. like this whole name called Rhino, R-I-N-O, which means Republican in name only. And then there's other yeah. people who call Democrats like neoliberals, and that's actually a bad word. If you call yeah. a neoliberal, that's basically saying that those two parties have colluded. Um, the only difference is probably the Supreme Court uh, picks that they would choose, the ones that would be for uh, more of the libertarian, like uh, abortion for everybody, you know, that abortion should be allowed in our country, mm-hmm. which I believe it should, of course. And a lot of the more uh, liberal issues, uh, the rhinos and the neoliberals maybe kind of come together. But then there's a progressive movement, which is completely different than the Democrats. So part of the when we're talking about and then there's even a split among the progressives, which I can get into because I've been uh, researching and being with a lot of progressive groups. I consider myself progressive. And I said before, my background, I grew up in the Unitarian Universalist Church in the 70s, and that's about love is love, supporting LGBTQ. It's about uh, supporting, you know, helping people uh, no matter what your background is. And, you know, when it comes to the illegal, uh, having illegals here, if we were to somehow all the illegals were not here, our economy would collapse overnight because the illegals are actually uh, propping up our economy uh, by taking a lot of these really cheap you know unfortunately we have a lot of the slave labor jobs and and any in my opinion anything under fifteen dollars an hour is slave labor any job that pays less than that is a slave type job and so we basically have three major belts running through the veins of probably more than this through the united states we have the white belt which is you could paint it from like oregon and maybe where you're at near sacramento all the way Mm -hmm. into tennessee it's mostly white people. And then you have the black belt, which is mostly the cotton belt areas where people used to, uh, this, it's former slaves pick cotton, but through Mississippi, Alabama, that's called the cotton belt. But then we also have the warehouse belt. And one of my friends just brought that to my attention recently to talk about, we have a lot of these people working in these factories, making maybe $2 an hour. Uh, and a lot of the Trump's gear the Make America Great Again stuff was actually made from slave labor overseas and also in this country. You know, that's still is. That's still- yeah. And, and that's the issue is it still is. His wife is an immigrant. And while he's pushing back against immigration, he fast tracked his in laws to make sure that they could be legal citizens while talking about. No fast tracks, no chain immigration, none of that. They also found out that his workers at Miralaga were also illegal immigrants. And they were working for him while he's in office and afraid of ICE coming after them. So a lot of his campaign was run on propaganda and fear. But 
it wasn't going toward the regular voters. He was going toward the people that weren't voting. He went for the factory workers. He went for a lot of the impoverished to get them to vote, knowing that a majority of them weren't voting. And if he says what they want to hear, they'll vote for him. Meanwhile, his idea of he's going to open up factories, he's going to bring the Rust Belt back, and the production industry is going to come back full swing in this country. All that did was get him in the office. And as of right now, GM's on strike again because they've closed five factories. Chevy just closed the last factory. Not Chevy, excuse me, Volkswagen closed the last factory for Volkswagen Beetles. And they're in Mexico. Chevy's shutting down all the cruise ones. Chevy's only making trucks and SUVs, which is heavily diminishing everything else. But Trump is all about, oh, we're bringing things back. He's not doing a goddamn thing but lining his pockets and putting in people into places that can help him line his pockets. Like the head of EPA used to be an old oil fucking tycoon. It's ridiculous. One of my big party platforms is to support the modern monetary theory. And people can see that on the face triage uh, YouTube channel. I'm really supporting Dr. Kelton. She's a economic uh, professor, but as an economic policy um, it's about we're not spending enough and that we really shouldn't be worried about the deficit like we are and balancing the budget. And what, this is a very strong economic policy that um, we should be spending way more on uh, going. We have a D plus infrastructure right now and we could have an A infrastructure. So, and we can have a, a job guarantee program. My top thing is to give jobs to everybody, offer a job for everybody. And uh, it doesn't mean you can't be fired, but it, it means you're going to get this job and it's going to be adapted to you. And a lot of my ideas and programs, I think one of the things that people get scared, cause I, I believe in a flat tax too, and, you know, make it really simple tax. Then suddenly we have to fire a hundred thousand IRS employees, you know? So <laughs> the IRS is like gone overnight. Well, maybe not all of them, but most of them. So, but my idea would be we shift them to other jobs. So they're, they're not going to, be unemployed. We're going to move them to some other area that we can have them in this. We really desperately need this jobs program, but the, between the modern monetary theory and we definitely need to do higher taxes with the extremely wealthy corporations, but also when they uh, leave the country and they, they go to another country uh, to be able to tax them over there as well. But, you know, back when Eisenhower was president in the 1950s, the uh, tax was like, 70% or somewhere around there, maybe, I don't know the exact, but something like that. Now it's like 28% or in the 20% something. So that needs to be adjusted uh, for, because it's really, that's money that could be used for helping people uh, and helping a lot of these programs. But the combination of taxing more and this modern monetary theory, and also the third one I would add right now, you won't hear this on other media, but uh, the Pentagon has lost $21 trillion dollars. And right before we were talking about yeah. how things have changed, things really changed a lot after 2001, 9-11, which we just had an anniversary of. But yeah. it was announced like one day before that, uh, that $2.3 trillion was lost. And then nobody talked about that again because 9-11 was such a huge issue. Then the day after 9-11, and I put that on on Twitter or Twit, whatever. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> The, the day after they passed the NDAA without a vote or even a committee review, which is actually required, uh, NDAA and the uh, 
then that all goes into like the uh, Patriot Act. And those are things that have destroyed our civil liberties and our freedoms. And now uh, George Orwell, 1984 police state. Uh, one of the things when I got back from Brazil that was really shocking, they didn't even have a human being when you walk in into the country now. Um, it was all automated with a robot. And I had to scan my passport. It took a weird picture of me like looking down and <laughs> – the whole thing was really weird. And then I had to go through like three lines where the dogs are checking me out and like one more line. It was just like humiliating. And then I'm thinking what I didn't have to go through any of this going into South America, but here I'm coming back to the U S and I'm thinking, is the wall actually going to be used to trap us all in here? Are we all, is this like a prison? It feels like George Orwell, 1984, the police state, you know, that's, it, it does. that's where the U S is after 2001, you know, nine 11. But that was the thing after that happened was, Everyone stated that Americans will be willing to give up their civil liberties in the idea that they're being protected. And that's where they pushed it and kept pushing it and kept pushing it. So now we judge other countries like North Korea or China for all the propaganda that they put out that the government owns their news and owns their TV programs. So they only know what's going on there. And we're a free country. We know exactly what's going on. We don't know shit. The government still controls all of our everything, everything that goes out there. And if they don't like it, you can't see it because they've blocked it. If you say the wrong word on your cell phone or in private public with a cell phone in your pocket, they're also scanning that. And that gets taken out to them. So the idea that we're a free country is just in essence, just saying that, like you said, a, Democrat, a Republican in name only, it, we're a free country in name only. Yeah, we get to say certain things, but no, someone's going to come cracking down on you. And no matter what I say, my phone, which is right beside me here, is going to hear me. It's going to change my Google lookups and things on Amazon. It's going to pop things up because I said kitty litter. I don't have a cat, but I'm going to get this on my fucking phone. So it's a country where we want to believe we're free, that we have these civil liberties, that we don't, that they're being taken away. And little by little, they're getting taken away more and more and more. And what you had said about your platform of everyone being able to have a job and giving everyone a job, I think that is fantastic. But there's a caveat to that. And that is our country's heavy dependence on income. On that. On that note, I'm glad that we have shows like yourself. And if people check out some of the content on Face Triage over the years, it's, um, you know, one of the things, too, that I went through, I, I lived in Cancun for three weeks after I came back from Brazil. Um, so you're on spring break? I, well, kind of, but I was actually on an exploration. Part of my mission also has been to learn about healing centers. And I went to, uh, I actually did ayahuasca, which is a DMT, like uh, incredible ceremony, psychedelics. And then I did... You don't do them all at one. Actually, I did combo, which is like a poison frog that lives in South America. Um, and they put that in your arm, like it gets burned in your arm. And then I did uh, ayahuasca where you drink it. It's a plant that lives in South America. And you separate these things by like two or three days. You don't do it all at one time <laughs> because they, they conflict with each other. And then like two days later, I did buffalo virus. But I, these uh, medicines are actually banned in the U.S. and a lot of other countries and there's a reason why, because they're opening you up. They open up. Um, I'm actually 
if I were to be president, I would legalize uh, psychedelics because if people check out the re- research on them, you know, there's a lot of other ones like peyote and which have DMT. Um, their research is that they're helping cure PTSD and trauma. And uh, I recommend having other uh, guests on the show to talk about this because it's a huge thing because it can really turn people's lives around. One of my uh, friends who I interviewed with, Marilyn Gabriel Miller, she actually uh, it really helped her a lot. Uh, it, she yes. credits that, and she's become a big advocate for it. And I'll, I've interviewed her last year. She's a really good author, and she's got some great work out there. Um, but the whole thing that it went through, I started feeling really native. And when I came back to the U.S., I actually got uh, into a ceremony myself. I started chanting outside the uh, Drupaling uh, Drapong. Uh, it's part of the Dalai Lama and like the uh, it's like this monk center in Atlanta. Okay. And uh, I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee. And then I spent um, about 14 years in Atlanta. I still have family there. So I was visiting, kind of reconnecting with everybody. And then I was I was doing this whole ceremony that I felt called upon. I was like crying because the river was really polluted. And then all of a sudden I felt like, uh, uh, the whole, it was an incredible feeling like, uh, uh, the garden of Adam and Eve, like opened up and I saw all these like really bright lights. And then I saw all this incredible, uh, just this energy. And I was feeling like this connection. And then I had like a staff and I was actually walking through the woods and I, I started feeling like I was taking the, the last uh, Buddha path, like the last eightfold Buddha path. And I was walking on the path, but I was actually walking, not on the trail. I was actually walking through like the thickets and stopping and thinking and thinking about the world. And then actually I went to this apartment community and I was just chanting. And then uh, I was actually naked too. And, and uh, <laughs> someone called the cops on me and I got arrested, but I got, <laughs> I just jumped down on the ground. Cause I, I know, Cops are shooting everybody these days. I, and I crawled to the cops like naked. And then they put handcuffs on me. And then when they dragged me to the police cruiser, I was giving them a hard time. I was like, you don't believe in like the whole Buddhism thing. And and then I felt like I looked like Gandhi because I was wearing this white sheet that they put on me and uh, in the police <laughs> cruiser when they were hauling me off. But they ended up holding me down like four times. And uh this happened around May time frame. I need to go back and look at it because I've just been doing so many adventures since then. <laughs> and, you know, they gave me Thorazine in the ambulance, like held me down. And then I went to this horrible Lakeview mental health. And actually, I need to do a police report. I just found an article. I'll send it to you. You can put it in the comment section. Yeah. But some people are actually suing or they're going after this Lakeview for horrible things. And it was a terrible place. It should be shut down. They, you have to hit the shower like every 15 seconds to get a shower. And the food was bad. And then uh, I refused to take the meds that they were forcing me. And so like 10 guys like grabbed me or whatever and pushed me down and like uh, injected me with a Thorazine in my butt. Oh, you know, and So I, I'm learning about genocide that one of the guys looked like he was like game on. He looked like he was really enjoying it. I looked on his <laughs> face and I challenged him. I was like, this guy, he told me he worked there 19 years and he just seemed like he really enjoyed it. But it's like, do you even know like why these people are? do here and you know what it speaks to is like i was just doing freedom of religion if i was naked chanting in india be no problem Uh, but here in the u.s they lock you up and then also why is everybody just calling the cops on everybody why don't people just come down and talk with people like and that's another thing people aren't talking anymore they're just calling the cops on everybody yeah well to be honest with you if i'm seeing you walking around naked outside of my house and chanting 
I probably don't want to talk to you because I'm afraid you might do some things to me. Now, I might yell at you from the window, but I'm not going to come out and talk to you. Well, I mean, it, it does speak to, though, kind of a lot of things that I've kind of went through personally. But I think that, you know, uh, people needing to do these ceremonies and freedom of religion, you know, like how much of what I was doing was really me being free to practice my religion versus like, you know, people just getting locked up. And there was other people in that place. One lady, unfortunately, I, for your audience, nobody ever say that you've ever thought about suicide. This one lady just simply said that and they locked her up for that. And her husband was like banging at the door, uh, ready to rip the door off to get her out of there. And they've been keeping people there like three to seven days. And um, I was also challenging the staff there. I said, there's 24 patient rights on the, on the wall. And, and none of them even knew what they were that they should have them memorized. And like, they were (laughs) violating them, like not letting us outside at certain times or like, you know, it says things like you have free, free time and, there were some other issues like that where it's just uh, really sad. And then you look at the people running these places. How is it similar to being like Nazi Germany where oh, yeah. these people are just doing it for a paycheck? But, you know, do they even know why people get thrown in these mental hospitals or prisons? No. And it's a funny thing about what you talked about. When you mentioned the word suicide, you get thrown into a prison and you're either it's a five or seven day or whatever mandatory lockdown. If suicide is illegal, and if I attempt it, or if I say it, do you think if I'm depressed, locking me up is going to make me feel any better about myself at that point in time? Not only that, now you've charged me with a crime. So now I went in depressed, you make me more depressed, It. It's the weirdest scenario I think I've ever heard of. It's a dumbass law to have that that would consider a crime for you. Well, it wasn't really. I mean, I didn't get any crime against me because it's considered like 1013 or like mental issue. Yeah, it's not like it's not. I mean, I wouldn't be running for president if if I had a <laughs> crime on my record. But it in that case, it was actually like. uh you know, they want you to take these meds and they want you to get them on for life, but they don't tell you how horrible the side effects of these meds are and like how it messes up your stomach and uh, destroys like your healthy probiotics in your stomach and your, uh, so it's not that they're necessarily going to throw you in jail, but they'll put you in this mental place and they want you to leave and get, just take these meds for the rest of your life. That's basically the the solution, but there's nothing about like, uh, you know, other modalities like these psychedelics or other things that and i just did an incredible also on this path i just did a 10-day silent meditation retreat called vipassana in kaufman texas i really recommend that to a lot of people but number one it's really hard the idea that people will take 10 days off i mean 10 days is incredible (laughs) you take that off i know that but the other thing is like doing this retreat uh, was amazing though i just finished that about a week ago and i'm actually living at the house right now with a friend who He's let me stay rent free and food free. And one of my oh. challenges has been I get some money for my brother because my dad died and I've become this day oppresso libera leader because he used the court system against me and it's still 117,000, but he's making it like five. He's reducing it from like 867 to 510 a month. So I don't quite have enough to really thrive. And so I've been challenging him too. actually when I just recently I went back, I've been really busy since Brazil 
and all that. I actually got a police report against him. I called a police officer and he published it and I felt like a huge victory. It said 117,000. And then I started sharing it. Like I went all over, like put it on UT University of Tennessee campus. That's my hometown. And I even published it in the newspaper. And then I even report my brother's a deputy law director for Knox County. And, um, you know, it's been full circle for me, though. He feels like he's doing the right thing. And I've been fighting it for the last three years. And um, he's using the legal system against me. And I've even tried to find lawyers, but none of them will, you know, take this case because they've had cases with him. I've been calling different <laughs> ones. I haven't found any lawyers who will help me right now. But, uh, you know, it's it comes from me being the baby brother and actually i did a talk show called voices of global freedom from 2014 to 2016 uh which was actually a very uh, law enforcement military intel show um back when i lived in san diego and then when i came back to when my dad had died and i knew it was a, a large amount of money then i find out that they had created this family trust which it's really not a trust from my perspective so i've been <laughs> it's been one of my like achilles heel all these years that i've been dealing with yeah. That's horrible. I have family kind of going against each other and having one person in charge of anyone else's money or accounts is never good because everyone always thinks that they know best and they're doing the right by other people, regardless of what the reality is for it. So that's completely and utterly horrible to hear. And it's not a fun thing to have in general. I mean, I fortunately don't have that issue uh i think my brothers are rather completely independent of each other so it works out very well plus my parents are broke as shit so when they died there was nothing that was taken from either one of them but i want to go back to what you had stated about uh legalizing the hallucinogenics now was it the 1950s that they had the lsd experiments where they're giving lsd to individuals and i forget exactly who it was i want to say it was like tuskegee airmen people too that were getting lsd but i don't think that's completely correct for that one but they were doing that and that was a legal experiment by the government to be able to do to expand the mind and open things up and work out that way it, i don't exactly remember that but that seems to be the same kind of premise at what you're going at i don't disagree with legalization of drugs in terms of ones that should be legal um there are different ideas and premises of like if you legalize things, even up to the idea of heroin, that they'll become less prevalent because the black market isn't there. They're supposed to come down, things of that nature. But if you look at the legalization of marijuana in California specifically, the prices and everything have stayed pretty much the same on the street as they are in the city. I think it's actually more expensive to get a bag of weed from a dispensary because the city's taxing it so hard than it is to just get the guy that's delivering it to the dispensary to get direct from them because they don't have to pay the taxes for it. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I think one of the things, though, as far as legalizing and regulating all the different types of drugs would be, you know, you have a little more safety because I know somebody who took marijuana actually in Brazil and, like, went banana, went just crazy because it was laced with, like, amphetamines and some other mm -hmm. shit, you know, that – how do you make sure you get pure stuff? I mean, but right. I've been to the dispensary and uh, I hit my head on uh, when I was in the desert and I was like bleeding pretty bad, but I, I decided to use marijuana at the time and it really helped me a lot that I, I didn't want to use like aspirin and some of the other, or even go to a doctor and get on some other painkillers. 
But the regulation part is the one key ingredient. You know, if we legalize and regulate it, that, you know, maybe I'll feel a little more comfortable about paying 25% extra. But right now in San Diego, I did pay an extra 25%. So that's a good point that you have, Herman, too, is that, um, you know, I'm on a tight budget, as a lot of us are. I can save 25% by buying it from somebody in the streets. But what if it's laced with, a, you know, crack or amphetamines? Uh, you know, so – you know, it's, I think the best way is to, you know, legalize and regulate um, as much of the stuff that we can have. Um, but, you know, it's proven time and time again that alcohol is way more dangerous. I mean, statistics, look at all the people who have died uh, from alcohol. Um, and, it, yeah. you know, like I'd much rather be in a bar or actually I would not want to be in a bar where <laughs> it's just alcohol only. I'd rather be in a bar that's only marijuana only because there's so many fights. It does something to the test. Alcohol just like screws up your testosterone. But uh, yeah. what do you think about legalizing and regulating uh, the drugs? I'm all for that. I have nothing against that. Uh, alcohol is a horrible, horrible degenerative thing in the excess of what it is. I mean, I say that and I had a, a glass of wine here I was drinking out of, but um you're also looking at who is backing the government. The alcohol companies are backing the government. That's why in the recession, Bacardi got millions of dollars in a bailout, quote unquote. Why the fuck does Bacardi need to bail out? They were not doing anything bad. Statistically proven results from when a income goes higher to lower so people get docked wages they lose money or when the economy tanks people stop buying high shelf alcohol and buy low shelf alcohol bottom shelf they don't stop drinking they drink more they just drink more of the bottom shelf bacardi isn't a high-end rum they were making a fortune during the recession they're also being backed by the government they're lining the pockets of officials so that's how that goes in terms of of why that's still legal and regulated. Same idea with tobacco. People are dying because of the fucking vape pens. I've been saying it since before it came out. That's a horrible idea. And a bunch of idiots are telling me that they can ingest this vial of whatever it is that's heated up by a lithium ion battery into their mouth and they can somehow magically magically convert all these chemicals and only exhale water vapor. How the fuck can you do that? Chemically, it's not physically possible, but people believe it, and now they're sick, it's becoming a huge issue, and they're dying from it. But again, that's also something that's being pushed away that, that has come into more prevalent light as we're looking at Big Pharma for doing the Oxycontin. So they decided to file for bankruptcy, but the headline above that is vaping kills because pharmacies pay the government. And I don't mean pay as in taxes. I mean, they're lining the fucking pockets. People are sitting in the government that sit on the council and sit on the board of directors of these pharmacy companies. Yeah, I just did a tweet about that. The, what is it? The Sackler family It just made yep. like godly amounts, billions, and then thousands died from their products and uh, now they're declaring bankrupt, but these people should be go to jail. I mean, they should be held. Oh, yeah. We should go back and find those bankers back in 2007 that should be in jail, but that none of them went to jail from my understanding, you know, back when the financial collapse and, you know, 
one of my other challenges that I've been dealing with, I guess I've been walking the, the step ropes of a lot of, or these, this tightrope kind of life. I actually was sued by Bank of America when I was in Brazil, and that was really ruined my <laughs> start of this trip because it happened around August or September of last year. Okay. And uh, they lost the lawsuit because I've actually been living, I call it hovering above homeless because I have had some money. You know, I've at least had some money for my brother. So I've been able, that's how I've been able to finance all these like very interesting adventures. But from 27 to 2018, I was pretty much just doing Craigslist ride shares for like a year and a half uh, before I went to Brazil. I was doing some insane travels, like um, just really learning about the, how so my favorite area is sociology. Um, but, you know, this lawsuit, you know, thankfully they lost the lawsuit, but now it's been almost a year since that happened. And maybe it'll just, you know, end now they won't keep coming back to me because the only address I really have is still in San Diego, you know, that's really official. And that's actually a post office box. They were kind enough. One of the post boxes there, they were able to let me use it so I could get my passport that way. It was like, a, have had a lot of miracles too along this journey, you know, like nice. things like that, like how difficult, you know, how difficult it is, like if you're homeless or hovering above homeless. And I have another really good friend that I need to meet up with again. He's like this brilliant guy that I still keep in touch with. Um, he's been hovering above homeless for many years too, but he's got some in- incredible stories to tell of just making it. Or if you run out of money, you sleep in the park or and then you go to a hostel or different, you know, different scenarios of like how do you, how to live life. Yeah. And it's a funny, another dichotomy when it comes to homeless, especially here in California, because we've been on fire for so many goddamn years, but you have people who hate the homeless because homeless do homeless things. And there are a lot of people that are homeless that are just down on their luck and trying to figure things out. And then there are the people that I've seen that walk in the middle of the street and take a shit in the middle of the street when you're standing there. Like there, there are two things and it's like any sort of dynamic. There are good and bad of everything. And in Sacramento, they looked at putting a homeless shelter in Sacramento to get people from living on the rivers, from people living on the streets and in front of buildings so that there's a place for people to go. And to me, that sounds like a great idea. That sounds like a place to keep people off the streets, to keep people all in one area and help people that really need it, especially people that have children, kids shouldn't be on the street. But instantly the backlash was, all that's going to do is invite homeless people from other areas to come to the city. Well, yeah, if we can house people in a homeless center that can do well for people, isn't that what you want? That would be exactly what should happen, but no one wants it because they're afraid of a negative repercussion. So, yeah, the, where I'm in, one of the tasks that I have is actually to create a healing center from all these things that I've been talking about on the show one day. I have an idea to create a hostel, and it would be like two buildings like right next to each other, and People would pay like 20 or $30, which is kind of the going rate for a hostel. And I, part of my story is to live like I've been backpack, and that's one of my nicknames, Backpack Baron 2020 <laughs> for a campaign hashtag. And then Daniel Roy Baron, I just put that because that's my legal name. Um, you know, so the whole thing about this hostel, which would be unique, is that you'd have people coming from all over the world. And they, they don't have to, but they could actually pay for a homeless person to live in the building next to them. It would be a completely different facility. 
but then they could actually be like the big brother, big sister program. They could spend the day with the homeless person and get to know them. Cause as I've stayed in a lot of the homeless, I mean, a lot of the hostels around the U and there's a lot of them all over the United States, even though that word's probably alien to a lot of U S citizens. It is. And notice I'm not actually saying the word American anymore. Since I left South America, I'm only saying U S and it, <laughs> it makes it interesting. Cause I, you know, America is this huge area. So I catch myself. I've gotten really good at that. I'm just can't, I'm saying we're all us. <laughs> we're just sure. But, uh, so the whole thing would be the hostel, the, the people coming here to really get to know it, they could actually spend the day and, and even sponsor a homeless person. So that way it would actually be all organic foods. And one of the things that we have, like you mentioned, you'll see these random people on the streets, like just trashing the streets or just taking, uh, using the bathroom in the streets and all these nasty things. A lot, the root problem I see is all these like crap foods that we're, we're feeding people. Even the homeless shelters, I actually spent three days when I was back in Knoxville at the Knoxville Area Rescue Mission, and they have all this like terrible like religion. They were pumping down my throat. Like <laughs> Then I had to check in early, like 7 p.m., and then I couldn't have certain bags. They'd actually throw out if you had a backpack. They would throw it out. Like Jesus. You weren't allowed. Uh, just all these horrible rules, and all the rules were not – to get you housed. And I even went to their uh, orientation for their long stay thing. They have like an eight week program. And uh, I was next to another fellow uh, person who was there. And I was there two years ago at the same one. It's called CARM. And I, I would shut that place down too. Like they're, <laughs> they're actually getting some really good foods too. And it's just going to like the employees, but we had like horrible, like breakfast was just simply biscuit with like gravy. And then we had like an old Domino's pizza. I went ahead and ate it because I was hungry anyway, but it was like horrible food. And so like how we're not doing things to get people housed uh, because there's too much money. I mean, all these levels and I learned now I've been in the mental hospital. I haven't been to a prison yet, but you know, I haven't been arrested, but I've been to the mental hospital. I've been to the homeless shelter and even the prisons. They're all privatized. I do want to salute California where you're uh, from right now. It's like they, they are canceling the private prisons, which is great. But these are all uh, things that should be canceled. We These are areas like none of our homeless shelters uh, should be about making money. And I even still have my homeless card. I just did a, a stand-up here in Austin where I was uh, talking about my kickoff to 2020 presidential campaign. You know, I, I'm proud to be the homeless. I'm proud of my life experiences because it gives me a unique flavor that none of the other candidates have. And yeah. so we need to take profits out of all these things if we really want to have compassion and that's my pen name, I wrote the book called looking glass shattered, which actually still isn't written. Uh, it's based on like shattering your looking glass, like how to shatter uh, what no longer serves you and, and go forward with the looking glass that serves you in your life. And uh, so the whole thing is like how much this, I call it corporatocracy, like to take all these profits out of all these main areas. So I'd like to see other uh, parts of the U S take California's lead and take, get rid of the private prisons. Yeah, but there's, there's a flip side to everything for it. And we are a major, major business first country. I mean, that's really what it is here. Everyone wants to be their own boss. Everyone wants to run their own company. That's really what we, we are. We're a capitalist country. So I feel that we don't need to necessarily turn profit out of a homeless shelter. But I do believe people should work for what they're getting. So, and homeless shelters, you should be providing them 
with some sort of job training because they're homeless for a reason, whether it's underpaid or they need something to help them to get back on their feet or they're in an industry that has closed down and they couldn't afford to live or in California, their homes are burned down and there's nowhere else to go. There are reasons for that. And I think that it was something that we negate on seeing and doing because that costs money. But the stupid old adage is that costs money to make money. And on the same idea, that brings me back to the idea for the welfare system we have in the country. We shouldn't let generation after generation after generation live on welfare. There should be a limit to that to make people want to go to work. Because back to what you said about immigration, the idea is that people are saying that illegal immigrants are coming into this country and taking away paying jobs that Americans want. Why the fuck would I want to work to make the same or less than where I can sit smoking weed on my couch on welfare? What was the point of doing that? I've got to exert myself? That's horrible. I think the one good thing I can say about the administration that they try to put into place, which Obama tried to do beforehand, and he might have actually, I think actually succeeded on it, was drug testing anyone on state funding, whether it be disability, workers' comp, welfare, all of it. You have to be drug tested. I actually agree with that. I don't have a disagreement with that. And I think that should be something you do because... If you've paid your own money into your own disability, I get it. You're, you're getting your money back out of it. But that limits people from wanting to get supported by it and live off it and use it as a crutch. Because you've got immigrants coming to the country that want to work, that are taking the jobs of picking fruit, working in factories, the chicken factories in Mississippi that got raided out there. But look what happened when the first thing of ICE coming through and all these people being afraid to come out of their homes in just the wine industry alone in California due to the fact there was no one to pick grapes and the vegetables out in the fields prices automatically shot up because there's no one to do the work. The products are going to spoil and they're losing the overhead. So like you said, if you start kicking out of the immigrants, there's going to be an instant and immediate effect. And that was the effect. Well, that's the key thing that I'll talk about my jobs program. I believe that we should have like even a 10 hour uh, a week job, like instead of a 40 hour work week, we could offer people up like 10 hours. But, you know, it is a crucial part because I've crisscrossed this United States is, you know, beautiful country. I, I do love it here. But also um, I am a capitalist. I want to make that clear. But I've, uh, that's a really a key ingredient because I feel like the other progressives are known as not capitalists. But I define it as like a collaborative capitalism, not like a doggy dog, you know, some ver form of capitalism where everybody can somehow win, you know, not where you're, you're firing everybody like the Trump apprentice show, you know, like it's not everybody's a winner. That's the loser. presidency. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and he's, you know, applying that to the presidency right now, but the whole thing is about also sustainability and like protecting mother earth. And one of the things that we use a lot of these keywords like climate and climate uh, change climate disaster or whatever my thing is pollution and whether you're republican democrat conservative liberal progressive uh you know everybody's against pollution so we need to look at ways to be more sustainable look at newer energy ways but also look at all the trojan flags out there because there's a lot of groups that are actually claiming to be one thing like even i'm seeing that i just posted about the green new deal i put it on my facebook 
now apparently there's a, some investigative reporters are finding that they're actually these environmental groups are actually funded by uh, the corporatocracy that they're actually, uh, you know, and it gets to this point, like, who can we really believe? But I, I understand what you're saying. I, I wouldn't, I mean, as far as the drug testing uh, for welfare, um, I think THC, I think that would be okay now that it's being legal um, in California that, you know, people wouldn't test for that uh, if you're on welfare. But um, I understand your point. That's a, a good point. But I think, um, you know, it gets back to if we're going to, I think we need to look more towards the Netherlands, uh, Finland, and Norway. And that's one of the things. I actually just met a guy on my Facebook who he wrote, he did a great write-up. I need to do like an article about it. I just need to be more settled uh, to do all this. But he said they have amazing programs if you're homeless there, like, you know, three meals a day, like good quality meals. And because I already know that because uh, one of the things I, I would do as president also is ban Monsanto and ban all the fake foods like the McDonald's and, you know, the crap foods. With all the but there's, there's, there's a flip side of that. Again, I mean, I play devil's advocate a lot for things. But A, Monsanto got bought up by Baird. So now they're part of a larger company due to the – I'm pretty sure it's a lot for the uh, Roundup lawsuits that are going against them. But if you've gone to a fast food restaurant lately and people that are broke that are living off of very, very minimal incomes – you could feed a family with four for $10 at McDonald's. It's shit food. It's not great. But you can get cheap burgers and fries. If you order a salad at McDonald's, it's like 12 fucking dollars, which is ridiculous. And it, it's the pricing of doing that. It, it's prepackaged. Yeah, you know, it's the, the plastics of the world. Everyone hates turtles now. And it's things that need to be changed, but they need to be changed across the board. So if we're going to be able to do things, uh, plastics, make them hemp plastics because they're biodegradable and incentivize people to use that. Give companies a buyback. So if you buy X amount, we'll give you X amount off on your taxes for that year. Not if you make $10 billion, we won't charge you taxes. That's a huge thing where we have a divide in our country as well because as a capitalist country, we want to keep all of our money. I want to keep my money. I don't want to pay it. But because I don't make millions of dollars, I get taxed more because I can't pay for the loopholes that come up. And I think that's where, and it's not a great plan, but I think that's where Elizabeth Warren's two-cent plan, which she calls it, has come in to do pretty well. If your household has $50 million, it charged 2% a year. Well, my big platform is that I do believe that all these mass shootings is happening in the U.S. and the mental issues is because of these foods. If you, When I was traveling, I met somebody who was telling me that he knew that these huge corporations hire these biochemists, and every six months they change the ingredients a little bit. One of the things I, I would love to do as a documentary, and I've, one of my many ideas I've had is like food is a weapon – uh, that that's actually about population control, and they're actually purposely make, making these horrible foods in this country. Um, and I, you know, one of the points I wanted to uh, raise is like these biochemists. So every six months, they use cheaper and cheaper ingredients, and they sneak them in. Like, so if we took a Snickers bar from like 1965 and compared it to 2019 ingredients, we would see these tremendous changes. And huh. you know, we that's actually like a hidden inflation too, because uh, they can make a uh, you know, maybe the Snickers bar costs around the same as like 1965 
or whatever. Well, I'm sure it's, you know, price, it was maybe 25 cents back then, but, um, you know, you're eating like real ingredients. And, and so we got addicted to these brand names like Snickers, Cheetos, uh, Lay's. And now they're like horrible. Like, uh, the, yeah. but one of the, my big thing is like, if you and I got on an airplane and we got off and we tried to sell Big Macs and Snicker bars in Paris, France, for example, they throw us in jail uh, because the <laughs> European Union actually has food controls, you know, so that alone, like what I just said, is like my biggest platform. If I could get day one, I would rename the White House to the People's House because White uh, House has horrible connotations. Uh, you know, I'd rather it be like the, it should be called the People's House. And I've had some ideas even having homeless people live in the backyard when I become president. Just some really unique ideas that I've had that nobody's thought of before. But, you know, that so different. Oh, just the idea though, that we'd all get arrested if we try to sell the food in the European Union, that alone tells me, you know, a huge amount. But that's you know, also because look at the ingredients in the food, like you said. We have ingredients in our food that we use now that are illegal in a majority of other countries. And we're having it legal here because, again, people are getting a kickback from it. Uh, there are numerous things that we have that are produ- produced for what they're calling flavor or preservatives that are known carcinogens that people like other countries have outlawed and banned outright. But we've said, fuck it. Let's just do it anyway. Yeah. I want to get back. So do you believe that the vape pen should all be uh, banned for the horrible ingredients in them? No, I do think they should be regulated. I think people should be able to have their choice of what they want to do. That comes across with the same legalization of things. However, I think they should have been equally, equally responsible and regulated just like cigarettes were. You can't advertise cigarettes to children. You can't sell them within a certain distance of schools and playgrounds. But instead, they've outright put them into advertising for people. They've let it go out there for kids to go out. And I think the idea of having it specifically targeted towards kids, I think that is a little overzealous. I don't think that was exactly what it is because I grew up in a town where smoking was a normal thing. I didn't smoke, but I came to college where at the time I came to college, hookah was a big thing. People would go out to hookah bars. We'd smoke hookah out there. We'd do that. I used to own a, a hookah. My friends used to own it. So we'd go to people's houses. We'd smoke hookah and stuff like that. you get a little head high, then you were done. But they've now made it pocketable and transportable. I was of legal age to do everything. I was 18 to 20 when I was doing things. I didn't know about it beforehand. I wouldn't have done it beforehand. But now, like a cigarette, if you make it pocketable, transportable, people can buy it and use it, and there's no regulation. You were able to buy these off of um, Chinese websites, and it is Abu Dhabi or something like that. Or Alibaba, that's the website I'm looking for. Alibaba would be able to buy it off there, ship it from China, and you can have whatever you wanted. So I going back to it, no, I don't think they should be legal, but they should be, again, regulated, and they should have the same restrictions as cigarettes. Yeah, and that's a big part. Actually, I'm still on a thread from when I did Voices of Global Freedom, and uh, that was an interesting show. There's still some archives of that out there. Um, but one of the things, uh, uh, they just captured a guy, because uh, I'm on the thread for Maricopa County, and I interviewed Sheriff Joe Arapaio actually back in the day. And you know, and that, he's not sheriff anymore, but 
they actually just recently arrested somebody uh, for uh, selling. Uh, they were making their own vape uh, stuff and just selling it. I mean, it kind of gets to the point you made before about the guy who's on welfare who doesn't feel incentives to get out there and work. What on the other another uh, scenario is like, what about people who can make just a shitload of money selling stuff that maybe is killing people, unfortunately, because and maybe people are saving 25 percent, 35 percent on this vape thing. But, you know, you can also go out and just drink paint, latex paint and and die. You know, you're (laughs) free to just do whatever you want. (laughs) But, you know, unfortunately, um, these are types of issues which are, you know, that person who got arrested was probably making just tons and tons of money off these like vape pens versus you know he probably was offering maybe half off i don't even know like compared yeah. to like buying them in a vape store even yeah so, no i agree know, these are interesting issues though to think about try to i try to look at them all but when it comes to welfare i think the biggest issue is look at corporate welfare one of the biggest things i've been researching is like walmart the uh, walton family they actually get tremendous welfare uh all in the name of jobs, but then you dig under the cover. We have to really, we should find some investigative reporters to see like how many jobs does, uh, how many like real jobs does Walmart produce? But the other thing is we know for certain, a lot of people working at Walmart are actually on welfare themselves. So not all they're getting, they're double dipping into welfare, but this corporate welfare and it's true of Amazon I call him Jeff Bozos. You know, that guy <laughs> is like, he makes like 9 billion a minute, but he actually, I interviewed, uh, I need to get back and interview Jeff Ginter last year. He's with Real Progressives, really standout guy. He's done some great things about bringing attention to a lot of issues. But we were talking about Jeff Bozos from Amazon could have helped the homeless like a huge amount, but he blocked it in Seattle. Like they were trying to just do a little tiny tax. It wasn't that much. And he blocked it He because he's so powerful, you know, especially in Seattle. And, some, <laughs> you know, it just speaks to like this guy's making – billions of whatever uh, you know an, an hour or whatever just un- <laughs> ungodly sums that we can't even imagine you know and, but yeah but so that's how our country works so again we give the loopholes and the benefits to the rich we tax the poor in the middle class and that is what's able to hold most people down because once you fought your ass off to become wealthy those that weren't born with it those that didn't just happen to wake up one day and now they're fucking billionaires. By the time you fought to get to where you are, where you're comfortable, and now you have a few million dollars, now you want to keep it because you fought your ass off. You've been taxed your whole life for things more so than others. But you look at the Jeff Bezos. You look at any large company in this country. They all skate paying income taxes, federal taxes, Everything every year. So it's it's something that I think we all know. The government knows about it, but no one cares. But again, lobbyists are paying the individuals. There's no actually there is. To say there's no draining of the swamp, but there was. Trump absolutely drained the swamp and then filled it up with CEOs, CFOs, and people that were gonna line his pockets, anyone associated with the Koch brothers. And I'd say God bless his soul, but I'm not upset the Coke brother passed away. That does nothing to hurt my feelings, but that goes exactly what you said. Look at the environmentalists that are getting 
paid for the opposition against like, the Green New Deal. That's exactly what they do. That's what the Koch brothers have done since they got kicked out of the government. They weren't able to come in and doing it, so they changed colleges. They put people in different Ivy League colleges to teach their mentality so that people would come up thinking their way. They couldn't rig the system from inside, so they bought it from the outside in, and that's how they're working. That's how they're doing this. You talk about wanting to have a better energy source because pollution is a better word because people don't like pollution. The Koch brothers fucking love pollution. They're oil barren tycoons. Their friends are as well. One person bought a majority of the coal in this country and he is selling it. That's why we can't stop the coal industry. We can't stop the oil industry because solar, as great as everyone thinks solar is, it's not something the Koch brothers are into or their friends are into. Therefore, it can't go. The waste on solar is massive. The energy it takes to actually do solar production, to make the panels and everything, that is heavily pollutant. And then once the solar panels are done, then what do you do with them? The, the recycling for them isn't really in place. And I've heard this quite a bit is nuclear energy is actually the cleanest and purest of energies. The problem is we have no fucking place to store the nuclear waste after it's done. We've been burying it for 40, 50, 60 years in places in this country that we can't do anything with because we have no fucking included with nuclear waste. There's a give and take to all of it. I think the best idea is to get rid of, and so we're down off of the coals and the oils, things like that. And my personal issue with all of it is California in particular, where everyone thinks it's a great everything and we're super against the EPA and everything else that Trump's trying to do to roll our shit back. We've been trying to build a bullet-style train from L.A. to San Francisco for years. Been approved to do it. They started doing it. It is not an electromagnetic train. And Elon Musk gave the entire breakdown of how to do it. You can build it for cheaper, run for less, and build it quicker if you use these plans for free. They said, fuck you, Elon Musk. We're sticking with what we know. And instead of taking 45 minutes to get from LA to San Francisco, we're going to use the trains that we have that people are paid for already. It's only going to take us three hours. Like, it, it's a big pushback because who's paying who to make the decisions? Well, that would be one of the things like if our infrastructure is rated D plus right now, I recommend everybody go check out the angry birds video by Dr. Kimberly, uh, I think it's uh, Kelton or Shelton. Um, but uh, I have a th- link to that on the face triage on YouTube. Uh, it's a really, it's a great video to watch uh, and how, if we still really profit uh, for the, all the people now um, that'll return dividends, like huge amounts. If we, help with a jobs program, uh, education for all. I think as far as uh, what Bernie's saying about getting rid of the student debt, I agree with that, but I think that we also need to look at all debt. You know, like, you know, so I feel horrible about these universities scamming people with $40,000. And even when I went to school, I'm lucky. At least I don't have that debt because that could be another pile of stuff to have to deal with. But the one thing is, like, we should really be looking at all people's debt. Like, what about the person who tried to start a business and 
some of my debt was actually from when I started a business um, or the ambitions to start in a biz- business. You know, look look on with a fine tooth comb like about debt. And, uh, you know, I guess I did want to uh, one point too about the Walmarts. I want to get back in the Walton yeah. family. I would love to also do a study on that. Like how many jobs are they actually creating? How much money are they getting pumped in off of their corporate welfare? And how many people are on welfare that these jobs that they're creating? I, I wanted to put that out to the audience. Like uh, I, I should try to find an investigative reporter to do that because it's actually sure. a really we could end up finding out like hard, it could even reinforce that this corporate welfare is just uh, beyond a scam. I'm not wor- so much worried about the guy who's like struggling or the, the mom who has like three, you know, is on welfare to feed her kids. I'm worried about these like uber wealthy that, and these uh, like the oxycodone, we're going to see more of that. And then, yeah. uh, you know, all these horrible scandals and I've heard horrible things about the Clinton foundation too. It's just a, this ginormous scam. I actually, when I was in the mental hospital, I met a lady from Haiti and she said, Oh, it was like horrible what they were doing. They really weren't helping Haiti after the earthquake. They were really doing like they weren't helping the people. So I've had this like, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are uh, very feel n- very nefarious about Clinton Foundation on both sides yeah. of the aisle. You know, there's a, a lot of things that we're all in agreement of. I, I think getting back to what we were talking about before as a Unitarian Universalist, and there was actually five presidents that were Unitarian Universalists. Thomas Jefferson was. Even though, you know, maybe there was a different flavor. Actually, it was just called Unitarian there. Now it's called Unitarian Universalist. It might have been a little different flavor. Um, but, you know, so it has a, a very strong history in the U.S. And uh, it has a lot of uh, programs to really bring light to helping people. Um, it's very much about women should have the right to abortion. And one of the things I go, I'm very strong about that. I say that. If you're against abortion, you believe in slavery for women. And I'm really strong about that because some people will say abortion is murder, but I'll counter that. Like forcing a woman to have a family against her will is a form of slavery. And so if, if anybody who ever feels like they're against abortion, um, they're in favor of slavery, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's a form of oppression, I think, in the eyes of – I mean, it's really more of the alt-right for that one when it comes to the idea for taking away the rights of abortion. Because if you have a woman that is having a child that can't afford it, she's dependent upon the system again. You actually own that person again. And like you said, yeah, it essentially is like a slavery when you put into that part of it. Uh, I, I agree with the majority of what you got going on there for it. But uh, I think we're about out of time for this one, uh, dear Roy. So where can everyone uh, find you at? Where are your handles located? What can they look at you up? Well, it's under at face triads, T-R-I-A-G-E. And it's on uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and uh, Daniel Roy Barron. You can find me there and a lot of the platforms. So thanks for having me on. Uh, one, I just in closing, I'd say the federal jobs program, maybe it'd be like two hours a week or five hours because a lot of the people haven't had jobs in years, you know, to get them acclimated. But even what you're doing now, you should be getting paid by the federal jobs program. Like as I I cherish all the podcasters and the free speech, it's one of the things that I love the most. I believe in freedom of expression. You know, that's fundamental to what we have here that we don't have in Brazil. And, uh, you know, let's see how we can shake up uh, the 2020 year. And it's hashtag Daniel Roy Barron 2020. And, uh, Backpack Baron 2020, living 
over eight years out of a backpack. So thank you. The metaphorical mm. backpack, backpack journalist. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. Everyone, we're going to have all of the handles, the hashtags and websites are all going to be in the podcast description. So make sure you click on that. Make sure you check it out. We're going to be on there. I want to thank you again, Backpack, for coming on. Uh, we'll have to do this again because we have some uh, good conversation going on here and we want to do some more of it. That'd be great. I'd love to come back. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Well, that's about all the time we've got for this episode. I want to thank Daniel for for taking the time after his long trip to be a guest on the show again. I also want to apologize for a little bit of the echo that everyone heard in the recording. It's because Daniel was using his phone to do a FaceTime with me and the speakers as I'm speaking kind of reverb on it so I apologize did the best editing we could to get that out of there without distorting the entire conversation but we'll do better the next time so make sure you tune in keep interacting with me on Twitter at Herman's Rant don't forget to check out thehermanjames.com for everything rant related including our equipment and our past episodes and don't forget to check out my friends at the no phony podcast network at nophonynetwork.com can't wait to be near us next time <laughs>